We are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, but before we read our text, which you're going to see a couple different numbers up there, you'll see 5, 1 through 5, which is our actual text, and then some slides later, you're going to see 5, 1 through 6. That's a typo on my part. So please don't let me confuse you as we are going through all of this. Um, but before we dive into chapter 5, I want to kind of walk very quickly through all of 1 Peter, and we're just going to hit the highlights here so that we can understand where we've been coming from, because we've been in 1 Peter chapter 5 um, for well over a year, especially since we only meet on Sunday nights once a month, and um, not chapter 5, we've been in all of 1 Peter for over a year. Um, that would be a very long time in chapter 5, uh, but we've been in 1 Peter I know when I say something wrong, because my wife's face is always, what? <laughs> so she's my cue that I'm stumbling over my words. Uh, so I'm going to kind of walk back through First Peter. So um, <clears throat> first, Peter writes in his first letter, uh, he starts off in verses 1 and 2 in his introduction. He says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling of his blood. So he is addressing this letter to those who are believers, to those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that faith, are now considered exiles. So they have lost family, they've lost friends, they've lost jobs, they may have been forced to move and relocate somewhere else. We don't know all of the details surrounding this, but what we do know is that they are exiles. They no longer belong in the land in which they are found. And so the title of this whole sermon series um, has been, um, honestly, I'm drawing a blank now mentally, um, Strangers in a Strange Land, is that what it is? Um, something along those lines. So <clears throat> Peter is writing to those who find themselves displaced. And really, that is us today. So Peter might as well be writing to us we no longer fit into the culture around us because we follow Jesus Christ. And so his entire letter is addressed, yes, to those people that he's called here, but it is also addressed to us who follow Jesus Christ because we are Americans, but we no longer belong in this culture in America, which is very obvious if you follow Facebook, if you follow the news, if you follow everything else with all the different movements and everything. Um, it is very clear that we don't fit into society at large, which is okay, which Peter goes through. So he calls then to um, verse 3. He says, he, referring to God, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he draws these exiles' attention that you have a living hope. You have been born again, and this hope is your hope in the dispersion, in being displaced, in being exiles. This is your hope. So he focuses on that, elaborates on that for about 10 verses, and then he shifts gears. So in verse 13, 
for the next two chapters, he focuses on how we should be living. So in light of this salvation that we have, in light of this hope that we have, how then should we live in this world that no longer accepts us, that no longer is our home? He says in verse 13 of chapter 1, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, I'm going to pause here. If you remember in verse 2, he said, You are exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. So now he's picking up that idea of obedience again. Um, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who... But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. And so for the next two chapters, he's going to lay out what that conduct is supposed to look like. How do you conduct yourself in the world? How do you conduct yourself in relationship to the state? How do you conduct yourself in relationship to each other? In the church, in the home, and so forth. So he goes on for that for two chapters. And then in um, in chapter 3, verse 13, he shifts gears again, and he starts focusing on suffering. He says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So, You have a hope. You have been born again. And in light of that hope, live your life a certain way. Conduct your life a certain way. And suffering will come. Persecution will come. Trials and tribulation will come. And that's okay. He says in in chapter 4, verse 1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Because Christ suffered, Christ knew he was going to suffer. He came to the earth to suffer, to suffer for our sake. Arm yourselves with that same mindset. So conduct yourselves. Be holy because God is holy. But arm yourselves with that same mindset that you are exiles, but you have a hope. Your hope of salvation is secured. You look forward not to things of this world, but to what is to come. And Christ came and suffered, and he is your example to follow. So have that same mentality that suffering is okay. Suffering is not something to run away from, but suffering if you are being good, if you're conducting yourself the way you should to honor Christ, to glorify Christ. Have that mindset. He then says in chapter 12, or verse 12 of chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So trials will come. Tribulations will come. Suffering will come. And that's okay. Don't be surprised at that. And then he concludes chapter 4 and says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So again, in your suffering, conduct yourselves the way he laid out for two chapters. So conduct yourselves like this. Be found faithful. Trust in the creator 
who is good. Live this way. And in light of all of this, we reach our text for today. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. We read, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can sit here and we can read the words of Peter. Peter the rock. Peter who walked with you. Peter whom you commissioned to set out and to preach the gospel, to plant churches, to raise up bodies of believer. And so today we are here reading your words to us through Peter. Thank you so much for preserving your word for us. We ask now that as we read this, as we seek to understand this, that you would be glorified, that you would convict us of sin where needed, that you would challenge us to live out for your glory, God, and that we would be humble and we would be knighted so that the name of Christ Jesus would be exalted through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. In light of suffering, in light of persecution, in light of trials that the church is going to face, Peter focuses his attention on speaking to elders. And so right now, church, I invite you into a conversation that I'm going to have with Denton and Robert and myself. So Peter addresses the elders, so I'm going to speak to Denton and Robert, and I'm going to be preaching to myself here. So I invite you into this conversation over the next few verses. So <clears throat> brothers and myself, Peter lays out the way we are to conduct ourselves, the way we are to live, the way we are to lead and shepherd Redeemer Fellowship Church. And so he starts off by saying in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Brothers, we must remember that Redeemer Fellowship Church is not our church. It doesn't belong to us. This is God's church. The members here, the people that come and visit, this is God's flock, not ours. There is no room for pride in this. This is a humbling thing. We read in verse, four, in verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, that chief shepherd is Christ. He is the ultimate shepherd. He is the ultimate chief. And yet, God calls us shepherds to shepherd the flock. God has placed a special calling on our lives to shepherd his flock. So this isn't ours. He is the chief shepherd. We are sub-shepherds. We are placed here as temporary 
um, shepherds to lead and to guide. And we must remember that this is not ours, that this is God's. And so that is very humbling when we think about that because then there is no room for pride and that this doesn't belong to us. What we are doing here is all about God and it is not about us. He goes on to say, exercising oversight. Now, here in English, we, they tra- the translators have translated this as two words, exercising oversight. The Greek word is, I'm going to get this wrong probably, but it is episkop. You know, I practiced this all afternoon and now I can't get it, but episkopuntes is what the Greek word is, which means look upon, care for, looking diligently, looking earnestly, look at with real caring interest. So in other words, never take your eyes off the flock of God. Always be mindful, never be complacent. So exercising oversight is how we translate this, but this word is very deep because this flock is God's flock. We have a responsibility to shepherd We have a responsibility to care for, to look after, and we cannot do so if we are complacent. We cannot do so if we just sit back and coast and, all right, we're just going to preach, we're just going to meet together, but we have a calling that is active. We cannot be passive in this. This is an active action that we must take. We must be on guard We cannot care for the flock if we're not looking after the flock. When I was in Senegal, uh, there's a people group called the Fulani. They are the shepherds. And you know that they are the shepherds for two reasons. One, they have long quarterstaffs that they will walk around as walking sticks, or they'll drape it over their shoulders and have their hands resting as they're walking around. And you know that those are the Fulani because they have these big, long sticks Also, you know that they're Fulani, you know that they're shepherds because they have a flock of sheep following behind them or a flock of sheep they're walking around in the middle of them or they're walking behind the sheep. Um, It is really crazy to be driving through a city and then to have to stop in the middle of the city as this flock of sheep are walking through and the shepherd is guiding them and leading them and they know their shepherd because the shepherd has been involved in their lives. Uh, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. There was a time the sheep in um, this flock was walking, the the shepherd was walking in front of them and the shepherd took one road and the sheep kept going straight. So they weren't following him. He walked off and they kept going in a different direction. In the middle of a city, cars driving around, He called out one word, and all the sheep picked their heads up and looked, and then trotted after him, and then kept following him down a different street. That is Jesus Christ. That is the chief shepherd. We are to follow him. We are to look to him for our guidance. But in the same manner, we are to shepherd the flock as well. And we cannot do so unless we are involved in people's lives. So this calling that Peter places on our lives is a calling to not be complacent. It is a calling to exhaust ourselves. It is a calling 
to never stop being a shepherd. The Fulani, this is their life calling. This is their life work. This is who they are. The sheep, they are their livelihoods. And so if they stop being a shepherd, they stop being Fulani. There is no distinction for them. To be a Fulani is to be a shepherd. In the same way, to be an elder is to be a shepherd. And you cannot be a shepherd unless you are involved in people's lives. And so we cannot ever stop caring for, looking upon, diligently taking a direct interest in the lives of the flock. And this is what Peter is calling us to. But notice that he says then afterwards, not under compulsion, but willingly. We don't do this because we're forced to. We don't do this because we feel obligated to, but we do this willingly. We shepherd willingly. We don't do this begrudgingly. We don't shepherd, all right, I guess I'm going to go shepherd today. Maybe. No, we do this with a willing attitude, with a willing spirit. As Peter says, as God would have you. God doesn't want shepherds to do this under compulsion. He's not forcing people to be shepherds. This is a calling on our lives, and we are to answer this calling willingly, not begrudgingly. And then he shifts and says, not for shameful gain. We don't do this for glamour. We don't do this for glory. We don't do this for fame. We don't do this for money. In verse 4, he says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So he says that if you are faithful, there is glory that is coming to you. But before this, he says, you don't shepherd, you don't lead for shameful gain. You don't lead a flock. You don't pastor a church to receive the crown of glory. You pastor the, the church. You shepherd the flock willingly because you've submitted yourself to God and this is what God has called you to do. This is the attitude that we are to have. Not one for glory, not one for a fan base. There may be people in here who have listened to the podcast, um, Mars Hill, um, Who Killed Mars Hill? Um, there's a, it's on the church Mars Hill out of Seattle and Mark Driscoll. And there's an interview in one of the episodes um, with one of the guys on the media team. And they had gone somewhere to, um, to speak and do stuff. And then as they were getting into the car, some guys came up to Driscoll and um, said, can we have your autograph? And so he signed some stuff for them, got in the car. And the guy that's being interviewed, he said, I laughed and said, that's, that's ridiculous that they wanted your autograph. And Driscoll's response was, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm a big deal. And he laughed at that thinking Driscoll was being sarcastic and funny and then very quickly realized he was being serious. That is not the attitude that Peter says we are to have. We do not seek fame. We do not seek glory. We do not seek prestige. We do not seek money. We do not seek things. We seek God. We seek Christ and him crucified. And that's it. And so we shepherd humbly. We shepherd willingly. 
and we shepherd to lay down our lives. And there is no gain. There is no glory. There is no fame in a shepherd. In fact, the Fulani, which is the same as it was in the time of Christ, shepherds are the lowest rung of society. The Fulani don't have much respect in the areas around where they live. They're looked upon with distrust. They're looked upon with disdain because they're shepherds. So the calling to be a shepherd is not a glorious calling. The calling to be a shepherd is to humble yourself to the lowest position and to lead from a place of humility. We do not lead, we do not shepherd for shameful gain, but we shepherd eagerly. This is something that we should desire. This is something that we should do. But again, we eagerly lead. We eagerly guide, not to please the flock, not to please other people, but to please God. He is the chief shepherd. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd who has placed us in a position to care for his flock. He has flocks scattered all over the world, all over Evansville, all over Indiana. He has flocks scattered everywhere. And God has called us as elders to shepherd Redeemer Fellowship Church. And that is a humble calling, and we should eagerly do this. We should not shepherd domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So again, here's a poignant reminder that this is God's flock. So not domineering over those in your charge. So the, this flock, Redeemer Fellowship Church, has been given into our care so that we can care for them. We are not to domineer over them. We are not to be their lords and masters. We are not to be their kings and, and the church our servants. That is not how we are to lead. We are to be humble. We are to be examples to the flock. So Paul says, uh, I cannot remember the passage, um, but he says at one point, look at my life and follow me. That is how we are to be. We are to live our lives in such a way that we say to everybody, look at us and follow us. Follow our lead, follow our example. And we cannot be examples if we are being domineering. We cannot be examples to follow if we are puffing ourselves up with pride and looking at us, look at all the great things that we've done, look at the wonderful worship band that we have, look at the wonderful sermons that we preach, look how humble we are and how we, and, and, and how we lead at this way. We can't be examples. We don't want people, everybody being puffed up, everybody saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, because we are all to say, look to Christ Christ is our example. So if I am looking to Christ and I want you to look to Christ, then I can say, look at me as I look to Christ. But if I'm looking at myself, I can't say look to Christ. I'm an example. So we want to live our lives in such a way that we can say, look at us as we look to Christ. If you want to know what it looks like to follow Christ, I'll show you. Follow my lead. I'll show you what it means to look to Christ. This is what Peter calls and challenges and exhorts the elders to do. In verse 5, Peter then says, 
Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. So now he's shifting gears and speaking to the church. So what I would like to do at this moment is I would just like to say, I can confidently say to Redeemer Fellowship Church that Robert and Denton live this out. It is my privilege and my honor to serve along with these guys. And I can confidently say to you, if you want to know what it looks like to follow Christ, look to them. They love the Lord. They are humble. And they care for you guys. They love you. They want to see you succeed in life. They want to see you live out your life in such a way that glorifies Christ. So I can say with all confidence, look to them as they look to Christ. Follow them. Because these guys, I spent the weekend with them, got to know them really well, and they are amazing men who love you and care for you. Look to them as they follow Christ. Notice here in these qualifications that Peter lays out, that Peter calls the elders to live up, notice that not once does he call the elders to be perfect. Not once does he call the elders to to be, you must be perfect and never sin at all. He never says that. I can tell you these guys are not perfect. I can tell you that these guys do sin, but they are humble and they confess their sin. And if you point sin out to them in their own lives, they will repent. That is the example that we must follow. We are sinful beings. Paul says um, in Romans 7, why do I do what I do and what I want to do I do not do and what I do not want to do is what I end up doing. There's a war that goes on inside all of us. We have Christ inside of us, yet we have imperfect bodies and we still sin. I think one of the greatest disasters that has happened to the church, and Satan has been orchestrating this, is we, as the church at large, in America in particular, we expect our pastors to be sinless, perfect men who never make a mistake, who never do anything wrong. So we build them up on these pedestals of perfection. And then when they do sin, the church splits and the church divides. There is no unity. People get angry. People get hurt. Now, I will say there are times when we should be angry at pastor's sin. And there are times when we should be hurt when pastors sin. But there are churches that split all over the place for crazy, silly reasons. And part of that, not all of that, part of that is because we have lifted our pastors up to such a pedestal that we expect them to be perfect, sinless. And the reality is there is only one perfect, sinless shepherd that we should be looking to, and that is Christ. And our pastors are not Jesus Christ. And if you get to know them, you will know that they are not Jesus Christ. And we should not expect them to be. We should expect them to be repenting of their sin. We should expect them to be humble and confessing their sin. We should expect them to be doing everything in, the, in, in their power to submit themselves to Jesus Christ. And we know that their power is weak. 
And so they must rely upon the Holy Spirit. And so when Peter says, submit, be subject to the elders, he's not saying be subject to sinless, perfect men. He's saying be subject to those who are seeking after Christ. Be subject to those who are living this out. Be subject to those who recognize that Redeemer Fellowship Church is God's church. It's not theirs. He's saying, submit yourselves to men who recognize that. Submit yourselves to men who care for you, who look after you, who desire you to glorify Christ. Submit yourselves to men who willingly lead, who don't lead because they feel compelled to lead, who don't lead begrudgingly, but men who willingly serve the Lord and lead because that is what God has called them to, and they love their Lord, they love their shepherd. So, Redeemer, submit yourselves to those kind of men. Submit yourselves to men who are not pursuing shameful gain, who are not pursuing fame, who are not pursuing popularity. Submit yourselves to those kind of men. Submit yourselves to men who are eager to lead, eager to point you to Christ, eager to say, look at Christ. Submit yourselves to men who do not domineer over you, but are examples to follow. And so I can confidently say that Denton and Robert are those men, and you can follow them, and you can look to them as your example, and you can joyfully Subject yourselves, you can joyfully submit yourselves to them as elders and to them as shepherds. And then he concludes this passage with a call for all of us. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. The elders are to lead humbly. There is to be no pride in their lives. You as a church are to submit to the elders humbly. There's to be no pride in your life. With humility toward one another, we are to dress ourselves, we are to clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. We will sin against each other. We will say things that offend each other. We will hurt each other because we are sinful beings. The the proud person says, how dare you? Shame on you. You disgust me. The humble person says, brother, sister, what you said the other day was really concerning. That hurt. So I just want to let you know that the way you've been conducting yourselves, I I just just want to challenge you. Look to Christ. Because from my perspective, it didn't seem like that. But could we have a conversation to talk about that more? Because maybe I'm missing something. The humble person comes without accusation comes graciously, comes kindly. If you see your elders leading in a way that goes against 1 Peter, go up to them. Say, brother, when you said this, when you acted this way, what were you thinking? What was going on? Because when I saw that, it didn't, didn't seem like you were living this out. To me, it came across as you were being puffed up with pride. So I just want to know, like, what was going through your heart at that time? Because maybe I got it wrong. Talk to them. Don't talk about them behind their back, 
Don't talk about them to other people. Go to them. Talk to them. Humbly submit yourselves to them, knowing that they're not perfect. It takes all of us together to pursue Christ. So, uh, as Robert preached the other Sunday uh, from, from Hebrews, as long as it's called today, call each other, encourage each other, exhort each other to abstain from sin, to abstain from unbelief. So we work with each other, and we can only do that if we are humble. And if we are humble in how we love each other and how we forgive each other and how we approach each other, then we will be unified And that is what Jesus said, by this they will know that you are my disciples and that you are unified, that you have the spirit of unity in you. They will know this in the way that you love one another. And we cannot love each other with pride. And the warning here that Peter concludes with is, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What a scary, terrifying position to be in if God is opposed to you. If you stand in pride, if you speak in pride, God is your opponent. And that is a terrifying position to be in because God always wins. Nothing overcomes God. We read in Romans 1 that the wrath of God is revealed on mankind against all ungodliness. And then Paul lays out all of these reasons why God's wrath comes against humanity. And ultimately, all of those sins are rooted in some form of pride. It goes back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve said, you know what? We are better than God. And we can eat this fruit to make us wise so that we can know good and evil so that we can discern good and evil. We don't need God. We can do this on our own. That was the lie that Adam and Eve believed in the garden, and that is the lie that we believe all the time. And our pride puffs us up, and our pride makes us arrogant, and our pride steps in and breaks unity and destroys relationships. And God says, I am opposed to the proud. That is terrifying. Instead, God gives grace to the humble. So as Peter says, church, I exhort you. Brothers, Denton and Robert, as elders, I exhort us. We all must clothe ourselves in humility. We all must be humble. Whether somebody hurts us, whether somebody has a different opinion than us. I love the soccer team Real Madrid. And if you love Barcelona, I will pray for you. But I will not be arrogant and proud as some people are. And it is amazing. When I lived in Spain, I mean, if you root for the wrong team, if you're in the wrong part of town, you will get beaten up. That is prideful arrogance, living itself out. And the church is no different. We have different, we have different political opinions. We have different social opinions. We have different parenting styles. We have different um, preferences on different things. And what divides a church is pride that says, I'm right, you're wrong. You need to submit to my way if you want to be in the right. 
And that will kill a church. That will destroy a church. And so Peter says, clothe yourselves with all humility because God gives grace to the humble. So let us go out tonight. Let us go out this week and for the rest of our lives striving day in and day out to analyze our hearts and to, close our, and to clothe ourselves with humility. May Redeemer Fellowship Church be known throughout Evansville. Man, there's something different about those people. I don't know. They, I guess they're humble. They're, they, they aren't arrogant. They aren't prideful. There's something different about them. And may our humility draw us closer to God and point other people to look at Christ. Let's pray.